Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. Millions of Chinese people have become rich over the past 40 years, yet income disparity has also widened, which is a significant worry to the Chinese Communist Party, especially as it seems to be such an affront to its socialist principles. Xi Jinping has begun a campaign to narrow the gap between rich and poor and create what he calls material and spiritual wealth. The campaign has a slogan, common prosperity. On one level, it seems to be driven by resentment against the conspicuous consumption of billionaires. But it's now also being applied to many areas of life in China, and it's become a tricky concept to define. However, I'm pleased to say that on today's podcast, I'm joined by someone with immense experience and skill in grappling with China's economy and its institutions. I'm delighted to welcome back Scott Rosell from Stanford University in California. Scott, the other day I was talking to a Chinese person and I suggested that the idea of common prosperity amounts to an order from President Xi to the rich people in China to share their wealth with the rest of the country. In that sense, it's a socialist idea. But my Chinese friend said to me, I was oversimplifying things. How do you see it? On the one hand, we know this is very much needed. And I think that perhaps the Chinese government is finally saying we want to do something serious about this. On the other hand, until now, we, we really don't know what common prosperity, what it is and where it's headed. I always say what the government has said about this, that there's really only four policies out there. Two are pointed at the rich, which are rich individuals should give more philanthropy and then rich companies should be taxed more. On the other hand, the other two policies are to the lower half of the income. And one is work harder. And this is mainly targeted at young urban people who are from perhaps better off families. It says, don't lie flat. Don't live off the largesse of your parents. And in, when you have a job, you need to work hard to contribute to the country. Don't not work hard. So that's number one. And, and so the low income people are really the rural people. There's no rural people that lie flat. So I don't know what they're really trying to get at with that. And two is no welfare. That's the second thing. She has been very clear. We aren't creating a welfare state. So they're going to tax the rich and not give to the poor. I don't see where this is going. Now, again, it's really early in the process. We'll see. But clearly, this isn't a pure socialist movement so far. That's why I think your, your, your Chinese friend that you were talking to is a little confused. So when you say that Xi Jinping is asking poorer people in society to work harder, is this about pressing for more productivity? Because I've heard that in many other countries, too. Most people in China... It's not that they're not working hard. There's a small middle income, younger class that perhaps is, you know, opting out for, for a different path in life. But most of the people in China, especially the lower income people, the, the rural people, they work hard every time. They have to work hard because if they don't work hard, there's no pension, there's no social security, there's no catastrophic health insurance, there's no unemployment. If they don't work hard, they don't eat. Um, and so how is this related to productivity? I, I, especially at this time of China's development, 
the labor intensity of, of the economy is falling, productivity is going to be driven by investments into new technologies and shifting of resources from low productivity sectors to high productivity sectors. That's where productivity is going to come from. So I don't think this is really addressing the productivity problem in China. Your recent article about common prosperity was called Don't Look Down. Why did you choose that title? The meteor is coming from below. It's coming from this 900 million rural low-income sector. And, you know, I think that if there's not a real common prosperity policy put into effect that tries to raise up their standard of living, improve their future expectations. I mean, I think that's the clear thing. If, if these 900 people don't have an expectation of a better future, things are starting to, will start go bad. There's going to be unrest. There's going to be people who really drop out and perhaps go into crime and organized crime and triads and et cetera. So, and it's coming from below, but I think it hasn't been a problem in the past. People can see the problem now. Maybe we can just ignore this. Don't look down. Don't look close at what's coming. But I think that you don't want to do that because if it finally emerges around you, uh-oh, it may be too late. Since the reform era in 1978, private companies have played an ever-increasing role in the economy, and they've no doubt been a huge driver in China's growth. But now it seems that in many people's minds, these private companies, they're associated with big business, with greed, with corruption. They could be seen as threats to socialism. Why has that happened? I work on China's rural economy. The people I study work in these companies, right? So that, that's where my perspective comes from. And you are absolutely right. I mean, it has been the rise of the private sector. First of all, small businesses, then medium-sized businesses, and now large businesses that have driven the employment. And that's driven the prosperity of China. 600 million rural people moved off the farm um, into these private businesses, mostly inside the urban economy. And um, that over the last 40 years, more and more have entered, their wages have gone up until recently. That's driven this. The problem is, is that like all middle-income, the high-income countries these days, the ones that have really thrived, that adopted the new technologies that are pushing out new technology fronts, have been the very, very large companies, the Tencents, the Alibabas, the Meituans. These companies have been driving you know, China's economy, but as they get bigger and bigger, I think the government is worried that they're gonna contest their power in some way. You know, I think this is a power struggle for who's responsible for China's prosperity. Is it the government or is it the private sector? And the private sector has been winning in the past, and I think the government is trying to suppress that. I want to talk about the economic situation in China. The growth rate is slowing. We had a guest on the podcast recently who said there are considerable downsize risks in 2022. I can imagine that the Communist Party feels under a bit of pressure as the economy cools. Do you think that this idea of common prosperity is partly in response to that? The economy of China is going to continue to slow down. In part, it's going to be due to policy, but even if their policy is perfect, as countries move from middle income to high income, growth slows. It's a fact of economic development in every country in the world because the sources of growth 
that China used to grow at 10% a year for 30, 40 years in a row are going away. And they, they're going to live on one and one source of growth only, and that's going to be productivity. As the economy slows, there's going to be this tension between do we want to let businesses go bankrupt here and then shift the resources over here and so the rest of the economy grows? Or do we take taxes away from them and provide welfare for the poor? I think the second strategy, if that's what they have in mind, isn't going to work. It's never worked anywhere. I think that China faces a tough, tough set of choices, right? Uh, and I don't think they can attain common prosperity in the next 10 or 15 years. It's going to be a long, long effort. I think they're between a rock and a hard spot right now. The economy is going to slow. If they're going to use markets to let it keep going, there's going to be continued inequality. If they grab resources from the rich and give it to the poor, they're going to slow growth even quicker. And you're going to see lots of stress in the economy over the coming years. You used an interesting phrase there about grabbing money from the rich and giving it to the poor. From my reading of it, it's a slightly different formula that the government is encouraging companies to give money to charity. And apparently this isn't an order. This is just a very strong nudge on the part of the Chinese Communist Party. Um, nevertheless, Tencent, Alibaba, they've each pledged more than $15 billion to common prosperity initiatives. Do we actually know where this money is going? Does, does giving it to charity mean that it helps poor people? Our group works with some of those groups that you just mentioned, and they've funded us to go over and we do research projects with the poor. The problem is China is a, it's a place of 1.4 billion people with 900 million low-income people that need more education, more health, more unemployment insurance, more retraining, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't care how much philanthropy there is. It's not going to address this problem. This is a problem that the government has to systematically address. It's going to take $15 trillion over the next 10 to 15 years, not $15 billion. It's going to be a systematic way of supporting companies to grow, taxing them, and then investing systematically into these social services that are going to increase this low-income sector of economy. This is a, a realigning of the economy, and they have to have the economy growing, and then they have to make these long-term investments. I, I don't see them focused on that right now. That's my fear of the, the coming decade. I find your response is very revealing, actually, that President Xi um, doesn't expect the state to be the primary driver in helping these poorer people in Chinese society, the people that we don't see. You've written a book called Invisible China, and I know that you've taken a lot of interest in the lives of people in rural China, and also the hundreds of millions of people who work as migrant workers. What do you think common prosperity offers to them? The Chinese government has done a lot for education health. And I maybe overstated it, but, but, but I didn't. They've done a lot over the past 10 or 15 years. Uh, schools have, are better and the, the, the health system is in place. 
But what I think is they haven't done enough. And it wasn't she, it was because the previous governments didn't put enough into the sector, or maybe they put enough in the sector, but they didn't realize how fast they were going to grow, how fast they were going to get up to, to upper middle income on the edge of high income. And, and I'm, not, I'm not protecting anyone or blaming anyone. So there has been a lot of, of progress, but they aren't even close to how much there should be. That's the first one. The, the second one is, I think that this is a problem of governments is, investing in zero to three babies, investing in elementary schools for, you know, 12 million rural kids uh, across China. I think they understand the need to do that, but the benefit of that doesn't happen until 2040 or 2050 at the very earliest. And with all the problems, I think that these get ignored. And, you know, this problem perhaps is is in a place that almost can't be solved and that we're going to see the consequences of that soon. Scott, thank you very much. We've covered a lot of ground today and I feel that I've become more aware of some of the challenges facing China as it goes forward. That was Scott Rosell from Stanford University in California. This podcast is made by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London. There are details of our courses and events on our web pages, soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.